0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Lord willing, we'll start our new expository series from James, but when I have the opportunity almost every year to preach on our vision for ministry, it's um it's not that I don't work at it, but it comes easy, at least it should. After all, if it's a if it's like a real stretch for me to talk about our vision for ministry and the importance of it, then I'm probably in the wrong role. What you want is, is by God's grace, what's the reality, which is that uh, Amy and I both, uh, we've dedicated our time, money, emotion, commitment to this vision for ministry in reality as those of you who are covenant members with us have. And this is a great joy. So, our text today will start in John 15, verses 4 and 5, and then we'll be in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, and then we'll be in Colossians 1, those three texts, 24 through 29. And as we prepare to open up God's word, uh, let's pray for God's help. Lord God, as we open your word, we ask within these walls, let holy peace and love and concord dwell. Here, give the troubled conscience ease, the wounded spirit heal. The hearing ear, the seeing eye, the humble mind bestow and shine upon us from on high and make our graces grow. Amen. John 15, Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This wonderful statement where Jesus says, I am the vine. John's gospel has seven unforgettable I am statements. And this is the seventh, the culminating statement where Jesus says, I am the vine. And then he says, if you abide in me, you bear fruit. Well, what does it mean to bear fruit? Jesus says, I'm the vine. If you're my disciple, you're a branch that abides in me. So if you bear fruit, it would mean that you go out and reach other people who aren't yet abiding in Jesus, and you bring them in to abide in the vine. So really what he's talking about is making and training more disciples who make and train more disciples. And yet at the core of it is that always, everything that we do, we're abiding in Jesus. It's not energy that we generate. It's the energy and the vitality of the vine itself that pulsates through us. I don't manufacture it. I just distribute it. I don't create it. I'm the channel that it comes through. So that's John 15. Now turn back to Matthew 28. This is also where we draw our fundamental philosophy of ministry and our vision for ministry from. Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here, the only main imperative command is make disciples And the other three verbal forms, we call them participles in the original language. It means as you're going, as you're baptizing, as you're teaching, those are some of the means. But the main thing that we're doing is making disciples. And when Jesus calls us to make disciples, this is our vision, this is our task, this is our mission. Look at what he says at the end of verse 20. And behold, now. What if it said something else? What if Jesus gave us our mission and then he says this, and behold, I'm leaving and it's all up to you by yourself right now. Or what if Jesus gave us our mission and then he said, and behold, I'm gonna be sitting on the judgment throne, wagging my finger at you. And if you mess this up, I'm gonna obliterate you. Oh, but what he says after he gives us our mission is, behold, I am with in you always. What a benediction. We're in Matthew 28. I love the fact that in our Advent series, we just went through Matthew chapter one, one of our most beloved verses, Matthew chapter one, verse 27, call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Matthew chapter 1, God with us. Matthew, the final chapter, Jesus with us. That's the only way this happens. And then finally, let's turn to Colossians 1, the third place to look together. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. The apostle says in Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. What a Christian thing to say. First of all, to say I rejoice in my sufferings, that, that's a Christian thing to say. But perhaps even more deeply Christ-like is that next little clause. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In other words, the only reason I'm suffering is so that I can serve you. The only reason Jesus suffered was so that he could serve us. This is the most Christ-like understanding of life and ministry that there is. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden from ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints, to them. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see the labor and the toil, and you see the utter dependence upon Jesus Christ, that it's Christ's energy. So we're back to John 15. He's abiding in the vine. It's his energy that enables me to do the work. We love these verses about abiding in Jesus, about working with the energy that Jesus powerfully supplies, of making and training disciples, teaching them about Jesus. This is what it's all about. In church, the vision and the mission ought to stay the same. From year to year, or even decade to decade, there may be a new, there may be a renovated facility or a renovated ministry means but the mission remains the same. Last week, uh, while uh, Wayne was preaching here, I was back at the church where I grew up. And uh, it's the church where I first ran around the Iwana Circle, church where I was baptized, a church where, where we were married. And it's actually the first church that I took my uh, baby and put her in the nursery. What's the first church that you dropped your if if you're old enough or if you've been married and had babies? The first church where you took your baby, put your baby in the nursery. Maybe it was here at 12505 or maybe it was down at 401 Wisconsin. For me, it was Grace Community down there in in Southern California. And uh, when I dropped Carly off at that nursery, what is that, 24 years ago? What I did was I handed her to our friend Shirley who ran the nursery And I said, see you later. And I turned around and walked away. And then when church was over, I went back and our friend Shirley just gave her back to me and I left. Now, last Sunday, I was with my son-in-law and we put my grandson into that same nursery. But it was like, we had to go through this line and this metal detector and I had to give blood and then they had to have this iPad and I had to print this thing out. It was like, you know, some things change. But it was... It was still sweet, uh, Christ-filled Shirley's and their sisterhood and brotherhood that were in that nursery, taking kids that by blood didn't belong to them, but in Jesus belonged to them, and, and, and caring for them. Church changes. I want to make the facility a little different, a little better. Church changes, but the vision and the ministry stays the same. So I want to preach about our vision for ministry from these three texts. And I'm really just going to make two points about our vision for ministry. And as you would have it, the two points actually contradict each other. So at the end of the sermon, you can pick the one that you like because they disagree with each other, even though they're both true. And I, and I commend them both to you. First point about our vision for ministry is simply this. It's easy. It's easy. Our vision for ministry is entry-level easy, and it is expected of everyone. In other words, our vision for ministry is not so hard that you have to be a super Christian to do it. It's entry-level easy, and it's expected of everyone. Because all that it requires... Let's not overcomplicate things. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me bears much fruit. Whoever grows in me branches out to bear fruit. Our vision for ministry is easy. All that it requires is that with this hand, you are holding on to Jesus and experiencing his love for you. And then as a human being in a body, in a place who lives on a street or goes to a school, with this hand you're finding other people who maybe know Jesus or maybe don't know Jesus yet, and you're loving them. It's easy. It's just a relational process. And Jesus gives us all the relational love that we need in order to carry out the ministry. If the ministry is just super difficult and we never have energy for it, it's because we're not abiding in the vine. This is pretty easy stuff if we're just the channel that Jesus does his work through. So that's my first point, that our vision for ministry is entry-level easy, and it's expected of everyone. Matthew 28, when Jesus gives us the mission, and then he says, I am with you. In in, in, uh, Colossians 1, it says, we proclaim him. So we don't have to think up creative things to proclaim. We proclaim him, his person and his work. And what we're proclaiming is the greatest, most beautiful, most attractive one, whoever was or is or shall be. So to come up with something else would be a loss anyway. We just have to proclaim Christ. So our, mini- our vision for ministry is entry-level easy, and everyone's expected to participate in it. All it requires is simply coming alongside others in real relationship discipleship maybe sounds like a big thing what if we just called it friendship what if we just called it spiritual friendship because that's all it is it's just simple relational conversation i've often reflected like about this question what's the best what's the best thing about coming to church what if what if it's not the music what if it's not the preaching if the best thing about coming to church is that I walk in here and it's normal and expected for me to have real conversations about what's really happening in life with everyone else that I'm with. What a gift that is. We can put on postures and try to look good and talk about sports or whatever in all kinds of places, in all kinds of ways. This is the place where because we abide in Jesus, we talk about that with one another. That's a beautiful blessing. And it's so simple, just real spiritual conversation, one with another. This is entry-level easy. The definition of ministry is neither complex nor confusing. Ministry is relationships flowing from a relationship. I am the vine. You are the branches branch out and bear fruit because you abide in me. Ministry is relationships flowing from a relationship. It's discipling, encouraging, listening, praying, even correcting, exhorting, rebuking, but it's all from that relationship with Jesus. So the the deeper that relationship with Jesus, the further out the branches go. And ministry is relationships flowing from a relationship. So the way to prosper fruitfully in ministry is not first to focus on the ministry. The way to prosper fruitfully in ministry is this. Oh, get this. Be filled, filled, filled with the love of Jesus. Not even with your love for Jesus first, but just get filled with the knowledge of his love for you. And ministry is the splash zone, the overflow of your knowledge of Jesus' love for you. That's all it is. It's easy. It's entry level. And it's the calling of every Christian. So as we talk about expanding our ministry, even uh, expanding our building, raising money for that, getting people to volunteer and children's ministry, all that stuff, let, let me say as, as clearly as I can at the very outset, God does not need us to do this. God is not up in heaven, (laughs) a, a little bit nervous, chewing on his pinky fingernail. I hope it comes through. God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything for he himself gives to all life and breath and being. He is the sovereign, eternal giver of everything. And what we give to God is never because God needs our stuff to do his thing. What we give to God is simply because we are people who need the joy of giving to God, who needs nothing. Who needs nothing. This transforms our vision for ministry. God's not up there saying, I hope you do this because I can't do it without you. God, God calls us to participate in the work of ministry out of his fatherly generosity toward us. So the really, it's not like even this call to expand our ministry is like, well, we need to become extraordinary people to do this. We just need to be the ordinary people that we've always been. And we need to rely and abide with faith on God who accomplishes everything. God doesn't need us, but God calls us into ministry because it helps us we need to be the kind of people who are engaged to care for others and be in service to him. And the wonder, the, the wonder of wonder of wonders is that all this is true and then I could show you chapter after chapter where it says when we get to heaven, God, I, I can't even, I almost feel bad saying this out loud because it seems like it shouldn't be. When we get to heaven, God is going to reward us for the stuff that we did for him. Stuff that he didn't need and stuff that we did in a mediocre way anyway and stuff that we did with only the resources that he gave us in the first place. And then it will be his delight in heaven to to grant us rewards for what, it it just, it it blows the mind. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. So the work of making and training disciples who make and train disciples is entry-level easy and it's expected of everyone. Uh, Here are four practical suggestions if you want to jumpstart your own making and training of disciples. I wrote these on the back of a napkin on Southwest Airlines on my way back here on what was it? It was the same day that uh, Trump was here. Uh, We landed at General Mitchell at the same time our beloved president was taking off. So it's Tuesday night. Here's four Four ideas, easy ideas for making and training disciples. Number one, meet up with a friend and talk about Sunday's sermon and Sunday's ABF text. That's it. Just meet up with a friend and talk about Sunday's sermon and Sunday's ABF text. Now, easiest way to do this, I suppose, is to meet with a friend who's here who heard both of those. But you could also do this with an unbelieving friend. Easy. Just talk to somebody at work or at campus, say, you know, I went to church on Sunday and we studied these verses from Acts chapter one. Listen to what they say. And listen to what, listen to what that made me think about my life. Meet up with somebody and talk about Sunday's sermon and the ABF lesson. It's easy. The second way to jumpstart making training disciples, I love this one. Meet with a friend for prayer. It's something that is so easy. And yet how many weeks go by and you don't on purpose meet with someone for the purpose of lifting up your hearts together in prayer. Meet with a friend for prayer. If, if you're in an ABF, and I sure hope you're in an ABF, get, get the roster of everyone in your ABF and then get together with one or even two or three friends from your ABF and pray through every name on that thing. It'd be great. And then, and then maybe it'll, it'll, it'll bear more fruit because you'll get to reach out to them and say, we're praying for you. How can we pray for you? Help them solve a problem. It's a beautiful thing. Number three, read and discuss a Christian book together. It's easy. All you need is a book and a friend and, let's say, a highlighter so you can highlight the stuff you want to discuss. Read and discuss a Christian book with somebody. And, you, again, you could do this with a friend from church, but you could even do it with a not-yet-believing friend. We've got, we've got lots of good recommendations of books that would be for someone who's seeking but maybe not even yet in Christ that you could go through with them. It would be, be awesome. And then uh, number four, call our office and volunteer. Donna Bell would love to talk to you about ways that you could serve in children's ministry. We always need more help. Some to teach, but some to separate the goldfish into certain napkins. And there's all sorts of jobs to do. Uh, Talk to Dan Miller about youth ministry. Maybe you could serve as a mentor in youth ministry. Or maybe if you're not even ready to serve as a mentor there yet, just call him and say, hey, Can I pray for one of the discipleship groups? Would you give me the leader and the name so I could pray for them? There's so many ways that you could help in the work of the ministry. Just call our office and connect and volunteer. So that's it. The work of the ministry is entry-level easy and it's expected of everyone. Now, the second point, our vision for ministry is difficult and intimidating. Our vision for ministry is difficult and intimidating it will require great courage and steep sacrifice. It's difficult and intimidating, and it will require great courage and steep sacrifice. Paul says here in Colossians 1, verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And he says in verse 29, for this I labor, I toil to the point of exhaustion, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that word struggles there again in chapter 2, verse 1, is difficult. It requires steep sacrifice and great courage. The work of the ministry is difficult. I just finished at the end of 2019 a good book on spiritual leadership written by Crawford Loritz. And in the first chapter, when he defines leadership, I I highlighted these two sentences. The first sentence, he said, God loves to be dependent upon. That's a good sentence. God loves to be dependent upon. So here's his second sentence. So God gives imperfect, inadequate human beings impossible assignments all the time. God loves to be depended upon. So he gives imperfect, inadequate human beings impossible assignments all the time. The work of making and training disciples is not a work that I can accomplish in my intelligence and in my strength of my arms. This is why, after giving us the mission, Jesus says, And lo, I am with you. It's his power. That's why Paul says here, It's his power that works within me. What he calls us to do is difficult. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, making disciples, this is, if you're in church world, you've heard Matthew 28 before, and this is the danger of having heard it so many times that it just kind of passes by. Listen to Matthew 28. Jesus says, this is the, this is the call of making disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Watch, if all Jesus said was making disciples is saying out loud to them what I've, what I've taught, then it would be easy. It would be one and done. All we have to do is declare it and we're done. But watch what Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So it gets difficult because if we have a discipleship relationship, I'm actually going to talk to you about things in your life that are not yet in line with the teachings of Jesus and you will have the right to talk the same way to me. That's what it is. You see how it says it here in Colossians 1? Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, that we may present everyone complete in Christ. Again, if all it said there was, this is the work of ministry, proclaiming the message of Christ. If that's all it was, it would be pretty easy because we could proclaim and then we're done. But it says not only proclaim, but presenting each one. Listen, every child, Lord willing, if we build more space, but even if we didn't, every child who's currently in the space that we're occupying has a name and needs to be presented before God Almighty. Every middle schooler and high schooler has a name, and she or he individually should be presented before God. It's very personal. And so to become personal and specific, sometimes it becomes intimidating and difficult. It's easy to talk in generalities. It's, a, it's another issue altogether to, to be like, to, to talk about, well, this, this is what Jesus says, and this is what I see in your life, friend, and we got to match these things up. This requires courage because almost nobody likes conflict. There are a few of you who like conflict and always want to get in a fight. And it would be somewhat inappropriate for me to tell you to go to another church. But I, so I won't say that out loud, but at least I could pray it quietly. Like, but almost everybody doesn't like to get in a fight. They don't like conflict. We don't want to rock the boat. But this is because we tend to view conflict as a sign that something's wrong. But what if conflict is a sign that we're finally getting past the surface and actually doing what's right? Maybe the superficial niceness, even in church world, maybe the superficial niceness where nobody ever confronts anybody about anything is actually a sign that the church is dead and out of the will of Christ. And maybe conflict would be the healthiest, best thing for that nice, superficial church. Because Jesus doesn't just say, teach and leave it. Jesus doesn't just say, proclaim and leave it. He says, teach and then see that it is observed. Proclaim and then take that person by name and make sure that you can present them complete in Christ. This is challenging. Because if you're going to accomplish something good, there's going to be a price to pay. And there's going to be pain to bear. That's why Paul said in verse 24, now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I was, I was um, day before yesterday, I was on FaceTime with uh, one of our missionaries. It was actually my friend Christian who's in Romania. And we, we talked for about an hour and uh, he was talking about some difficult things in the ministry. And one of the things in our conversation that I said to him was, Christy, we bear the, as spiritual leaders, we bear the cross for Jesus. Bearing the cross for Jesus is not that you got cancer or that some member of your family, you know, doesn't like you. It's not, your cross is not bad things that you didn't choose. Bearing the cross for Jesus is specifically the bad things that happen to you because you're doing good things for Jesus. That's what the cross is. The only reason that Jesus suffered was for our sake so that he could win us. To bear the cross in Christian ministry is not to have a medical condition or something like that, as difficult as that may be. It's, it's the painful, difficult things that specifically come my way because of the good work that I'm doing for Jesus. So, fulfilling our vision for ministry is difficult, and it requires deep sacrifice. But we don't shy away from it, because we abide in the one who was scarred and bled for us. Our church needs to wake up and get to work at the work of making and training disciples. I recently finished a book about the church written by J.I. Packer, and he, he uh, diagnosed the American church to a T. And I had to triple check the front page of the book, because when I looked at the date that it was written, I, th- I thought, no way. Because this book was written in 1990, which is, ahem, 30 years ago. And yet what he says about the American church, like, like he wrote it today, this is what he says. This is the American church. We have unclear minds, uncontrolled affections, and unstable wills. Unclear minds, uncontrolled affections, and unstable wills. And that's not even the worst of it. The kicker is the next sentence that he writes because he writes how the typical American church tries to fix that. And this is what he says. The typical solution is that an extroverted innovator presents things disguised as Christian teaching, which are merely irrational emotional romanticism disguised as super spirituality. Listen, listen. If we are building more building so that we can move further in uh, some extroverted innovator uh, pumping up some quasi-psychological message that sounds Christian, but really just the latest idea, then not only should we not collect the nickel to build more, but we should probably just burn down what we have. And that's way out of, way out of where we ought to be. But you see, Jesus says, making disciples is teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. Listen, seeing Bible Church is so utterly and completely addicted to the presence of God in the word of God that we wholeheartedly confess not only the inerrancy and infallibility of scripture, but the sufficiency of the same for every labor and work and Christ-like endeavor in the church. So we're building up so that more disciples can be trained up in the word of God. That's why we're here, and that's what we're doing. That's the goal of all of our preaching and teaching. I think I've shared with you before my, one of my favorite ancient definitions of uh, the, the purpose of preaching, which is my calling and my, my job here. It's a fourfold statement on the purpose of preaching. The purpose of preaching is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart by the love of God, and finally, to devote the will to the purpose of God. And When we say we're making and training disciples, that's another way of saying what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who, number one, Her or his conscience has been quickened by the holiness of God. And second, her or his imagination has been purged by the beauty of God. And third, their heart has been opened by the love of God so that finally his or her will is devoted to the purpose of God. That's what we're after in making and training disciples who make and train disciples. That's the goal of ministry. And so that's hard work because it requires this sort of getting into each other's lives and really working it out. And so as we look at our vision and we think about this expansion opportunity in 2020, let me finally give you just three reasons why I'm why, why I am eager about this. I'm not just sort of doing it because the board asked me to I'm eager about this and I'm looking forward to it. And really each of the reasons could be summed up with one word. The first word is together together we can only accomplish we can only accomplish this vision together the only way we can accomplish this vision is together that is because the largeness of the project requires the togetherness of the people if it was a small project it could be done by one person but it's the very largeness of it that requires us to do it together and so my prayer is that the capital campaign will activate everyone in the wonderful work of ministry, whether that's, uh, um, you know, like a, like a sacrificial commitment to give in, this, in these three-year pledges that we're going to ask for, or whether that's simply calling our office, call Wayne and say, hey, you oversee the visitation. Is there a shut-in? Is there an old grandma or grandpa or great-grandma or grandpa whose family's all gone out of town? that they need somebody to to be their family and be there with them. Get into the work of the ministry in some way, somehow. We can only accomplish this if we accomplish it together. Number two would be the word generosity. I, I want us to experience the freedom and joy of generosity. I long for us to experience the freedom and joy of generosity. And this is so cool that in God's sort of providence on our little zip code here... He put us right now in the book of Acts because one, you, you, can't, you can't read a page and a half in the book of Acts without discovering this one truth. Believers make deep sacrifices for one another. You can't go a page and a half without seeing that. Believers make deep sacrifices for one another. In Acts 1 and 2, Basically, this is it. In the book of Acts, in Acts 1 and 2, this is what it says. A believer is someone who who self-identifies this way. I'm a believer. That means Jesus has given everything for me. And so as a believer, now I freely and gladly give everything for him, whether that's a prison sentence, whether that's some money, whatever that is. I want us to have the freedom and joy of generosity. And then third, it's two words instead of one, but you'll get it. The third reason I'm so excited about this is just the word forever family, forever family. This is gonna show us, particularly maybe because it has to do with children and youth that we're not just our individual families. We all belong to a forever family. We are just back in California. I saw my in laws, my parents, uh, t- two of my kids out there. And, you know, my, my forever family are, is the members of my individual family who are in Jesus. They're the ones who I'm going to be with forever. That's a forever family. The joy of belonging to Jesus. Remember John 15 I am the vine, you are the branches. If you are a branch, and you are a branch, and you are a branch, and you are all branches of the same vine, guess what that makes you and you and you? You're the same plant. You have the same roots. You are the same body. You are the same family. So it's easy, and yet it's hard. Remember, remember Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Jesus' message, point one was it's easy, point two, it's hard. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, if you follow me, you're going to lose everything. Your mom's going to turn her back on you. Your brother's going to hate you. You're going to lose everything. And then he says, and in my kingdom and by my presence in your life, you will gain 100 fold back. Our forever family. We just had the students return from Fort Wilderness. I was, I was gone last week, but I was able to watch online when they made it the, that video that you all saw in our services where I, actually uh, several of the students who shared what they learned, they shared out of John 15 that Jesus prunes us so we'll bear more fruit. But I was watching that video, and then I was talking with Amy, and we were reflecting like, we sent one of our family to Fort, like... For us, it was the years 2005 to 2015. And now we are so aged and so decrepit and so old that we don't have any kids that qualify for Fort anymore. But actually this week on Friday, I had lunch at Cracker Barrel with my brother Jose. And this was the first year that he sent one of his kids to Fort. We're in the same forever family. I'm, I'm on this side of it. He's on this side of it. But I was praying for you guys every day that you were up at Fort through that list that Dan gave me, just the same way that I did when it was my kids up there because it's still my family up there. This is what it means to be in the family of God. So I'm excited about this because we can only accomplish this vision together and we all need to experience the freedom and joy of generous giving And finally, because we all belong to the same forever family. Hear the words of our master. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all oh, help us to abide in you. Lord Jesus, protect us from doubt and unbelief. Lord Jesus, turn us from greed and selfishness. And Lord Jesus, fill us with the knowledge of your sacrificial love so that we can bear much fruit and love one another and so fulfill the mission and the vision that you have for your church. Lord Jesus, bless your church in this endeavor, specifically in the year ahead, and in all that we do for your glory, by your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.